0: Would you open them up and turn to the book of Jeremiah this morning? Jeremiah chapter 23 is where we're going to be looking. And last week we started talking about all the things that we need. And one of the things we needed was love. We all need love. We've all got a hole in our soul, and the only thing that can fill it up is love. We're not talking about emotional love or relationship or anything like that. We're talking about a love that can only come from God because God is love, an unconditional, sacrificial love. That's the kind of love that we're talking about, and and that's something that we needed. And this week, I want to look at another thing that we all need, and this isn't one that maybe you think of right off the bat, but I believe we all have this need to be chosen. We all need to be chosen. Remember as a kid out on the playground, maybe it was at recess or on the ball diamond or something like that, and you'd line up and you'd have captains, and they would pick everybody, right? Do you remember that feeling of, like, I hope I'm not last? As long as I'm not last, then it's okay. Um, I I remember pretty much every morning of summer as a child in elementary school, I would go out to my front porch, and I would pull out the, the telephone, and I had all of my friends' numbers memorized. I have two numbers memorized today, maybe three. Uh, But I still have those numbers memorized from back in the day. Now with cell phones, you know, you just press their name. You don't even know it. I asked my wife what my number was the other day, and she was like, uh, I don't know. I'm like, how can you not know my own number? What if it was an emergency? You didn't have your cell phone. But back then, I just had them all memorized. I'd call them every morning because we wanted to get together, play baseball at the park. And uh, so we'd go down to the park, and it was the same thing every day. You'd pick, like, the two most athletic guys, and they would be captains. Of the team and, and they'd go through and uh, you'd flip a coin or something. It's just like, man, I really hope I, I don't get last. You know, there was definitely some anxiety to that, right? Maybe you're out on the playground. It's just like, who are they going to pick? You know, well, they're, they're definitely the strongest or uh, they're the weakest or, you know, they can hit well or they can pitch well. You know, some people had their, their, their different strengths and weaknesses, but you just didn't want to be last. And maybe you felt that. Maybe you were the last one chosen. And it's tough. When you're the last one chosen, it's just like a confidence killer. Like, nobody really wanted me to be on their team. Like, you got stuck with me. You know, so you stick them out in right field or something like that and just, you know, just blend in. Just try not to do anything. And, uh, you know, you eventually you give up even before you start. But when you're that person who gets picked first, then it's kind of like, all right, we got this. You know, you're giving high fives, you're giving fist bumps, you're saying we're going to win, we're, we're going to do this. So to be chosen for a team, I mean, it, it gives you a confidence boost. It, it's a good thing. And you might think, well, that, that's how we did it on the playground. But even as adults, we still pick teams. We still pick teams. I mean, your boss, you know, he, he picks people for that special assignment. Or he picks that team to, to launch a new product or something like that. And you're, you're wondering, like, Am I gonna be the one picked for that? Am I gonna be the one picked for a promotion? I'm not sure. You know, and when you don't get picked, you you feel left out. You know, so you see that in the workplace or even among friends, you know, you, you pick your friends and you're wondering, man, I really like that that couple, but you know, they, they picked another couple to go on a double date with. And now we're we're over here on the sidelines or wow, that looks really fun. You see on Facebook they went on vacation together and Nobody asked me to go on vacation with them or something like that. You know, we don't say those things out loud, but you maybe think them on the inside. We've all been there. Or even your kids. You know, it seems like your kids, they like to pick their favorite parent. There ever been a competition there? it's like, oh, mom, can I sit by you at supper tonight? Or dad, will you help me with, with my homework? Or will you do this with me? And it's like, wait, why are you picking me over them? Or, you know, it's just like there's always this. There, there's still times where we get chosen or left out, even in today's world, even as as adults. So we're constantly being chosen or left out, and it can lead you to ask these questions of, am I needed? You know, am I needed? Am I good enough? Does anybody want me? You ever ask those questions to yourself before? Does anybody want me? Am, am I good enough? And, and so it leaves you... Asking those questions. So I thought we'd look to God's word today to answer those questions. So again, Jeremiah chapter 23. We're going to start with verse 23. It says this. And this is God speaking. He says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? So the first thing I want to pull out of this passage, he says, do I not fill heaven and earth? God says, do I not fill heaven and earth? So I want to look at how big God is, because it says here, basically, God fills all of heaven, he fills all of earth, God is infinite. God is infinite. All right, so let's try to to measure this, all right? I'm going to give you a print some perspective of how large God is if he says he fills heaven and earth. So we'll start with the easy one, earth. We can measure earth. Earth is measurable. It's uh, got a 25,000-mile circumference. It's got an 8,000-mile diameter. And the surface area of the earth is 200 million square miles. Like, we can, we can quantify that. We, we can wrap our minds around how big the earth is, right? But it also says that he fills the heavens. He fills space. He fills the universe. So how do we do that? How do we measure the universe? I'm going to do my best to to show you that this morning. All right, so let's try that. Um, Ethan, can you help me out here? Thank you. All right. So this morning, I have before you the sun. All right? That thing you look at and then regret looking at every day. So this is the sun. Soccer ball. All right? So if the sun is this large then that puts our planet Earth, you probably can't even see this, the head of a pin, all right? That's how small we are compared to the sun, all right? So just kind of grasp that. So this little, you know, 8,000-mile diameter ball is that much smaller than how big our sun is. And, you know, you typically see these things, like in elementary school, you make those little models of the planets and all that stuff, we, we kicked Pluto out of there, but uh, they're really not to scale at all. You know, usually Earth is about the size of maybe a tennis ball or a golf ball in these models, but this is, this is the actual uh, dimensions. And so if you'd actually look at how far away, you know, I was thinking like, okay, yeah, maybe about like that, right? But if you do the math, this pin would need to be like taped to the front door, and that's how far away Earth is from the sun. So there's, there's a lot of space. I mean, forget about Jupiter and all those planets out there. They'd, they'd be almost a mile away uh, from the sun, but yet they all rotate around that. So we, we've got the sun here. And if you would look on this tiny little earth, we would be like at the atomic level. That's how small you would be on this little tiny earth. So in this, this scale drawing of our solar system. So then I started thinking, all right, so if the earth is the sun, how big is our galaxy? How big is our galaxy? How big is the Milky Way? And so I started guessing, you know, before I looked into it, I'm thinking, all right, sun, all right. I know our galaxy is pretty big, so I'm like, maybe the size of South Dakota. You know, this ball in the size of South Dakota, that sounds about right, Milky Way galaxy. I was wrong. So I was like, okay, we'll go a little bit bigger. North America, the size of North America. I was wrong. Okay, so it's got to be like the size of the earth or something like that. I was also wrong again. The size of our galaxy in comparison to a soccer ball the size of the sun would be 40,000 earths. Like, that's how big our galaxy is. Or roughly about the distance between here and Jupiter. That's how big our galaxy is in comparison to a soccer ball size sun. Like, we live in a big place. And in our galaxy, there's hundreds of billions of stars just wrap your minds around that, right? It's huge. It's huge. In fact, the Milky Way galaxy in, in actual size, it would take you 50,000 years traveling at the speed of the light to go from one side to the other. Like, that's how big the galaxy is. And, and this passage says that God fills the heavens and the earth. He fills the earth and he fills the heavens. So that's how huge it is. But that's not our whole universe. That's just one galaxy. And in fact, uh, I was looking at this in 1995. There was a guy by the name of Bill Williams. He was an astronomer at NASA, and uh, he was in control of the Hubble Telescope, and and so he was he was the lead guy, and and uh, he was able to he got 10% of the Hubble Telescope's time, and he decided I want to point the Hubble Telescope at the darkest spot in the sky. And all of his colleagues were just like, that is a waste of time. Like, what are you doing? We could be exploring, you know, different planets, uh, other stars that we can see. Like, there's so many other things that we can do, but you want to take 10 days and point it at nothing. Like, what do you think you're going to find? But Bill Williams, he was at a point in life where he was just like, you know what, I'm about retirement age, so we're going to give this a go. And if I fail, I'll just resign, step down, we'll call it good. But he wanted to do this experiment, so he, he pointed... The telescope at the darkest part in our night sky, which was, you know, just a little speck in our night sky, not even the size of the moon, about a tenth the size of the moon. He points it at that. He points it at it for 10 days, and uh, what he got back was pretty astonishing. In fact, I'll, I'll show it on the screen. This is, this is what he discovered. This is the darkest point in our night sky, and every swirl, every dot, every smudge on that screen is a galaxy, is another galaxy. That's, that's crazy. Another galaxy that, that's probably bigger than ours, or the same size of, as ours that would still take you, you, know 500,000 light years to get across, like those are galaxies. So in this one little spot in the night sky, there's over 3,000 galaxies that they counted up every little dot, every little smudge. And that's just one little piece. And so it helped them to figure out that in the universe, they figured there's probably about 50 billion with a B, 50 billion galaxies out there. And since then, they've repeated this and found other dark spots in the sky that stars wouldn't get in the way and things like that. And now they estimate that there's over 200 billion galaxies in our universe, right? So just think about that. God fills the heavens and the earth. He fills the heavens and the earth. He created all that. Like That's just mind-blowing to try to wrap your mind around how big our God is. How amazing our God is, how creative our God is. And you know, in each of those 200 billion galaxies, there's hundreds of billions of stars in each one of those. In fact, if the next time you're around some sand, pick, sand, pick some up and, and just look at one grain of sand, and that's, that's our sun, right? But if you would count every grain of sand in all the earth, every playground, um, every beach, every desert, there's more stars in our universe than there are grains of sand on earth. And it's just amazing to think about how creative, how amazing our God is. Our God is infinite. Our God is infinite. Not only is he infinite in space, but he's also infinite in time. He's infinite in time. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is eternal. He's infinite in knowledge. Uh, His understanding is beyond measure. His thoughts are higher than his Than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. He's infinite in power. He's the Almighty One of Israel. There is nothing God cannot do. I mean, there's nothing He can't do. He's infinite in power, He's infinite in resources. He's our provider. The heavens and earth are His and all that is in them, right? He created everything, so He's infinite. But yet, in this passage, He also says, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? God is infinite, yet he is close. Yet he is close. So you think about just the vastness of our universe. The vastness of our universe. I mean, we we can't even comprehend that. But yet, on that little pin, that little pinhead called earth, You zoom into the atomic level, into a sanctuary here this morning, you can't hide from him. He knows where you are. He knows your exact location. He's got GPS locator on you, right? And he knows exactly where you are. Out of the hundreds of billions of galaxies, he knows which one's yours. Out of the hundreds of billions of stars in in our galaxy, he knows which one shines on you. Out of all the planets, he knows you're on earth. And out of the 200 million square miles that make up the surface of the earth, he knows exactly where you are. We have a great God. We have a great God. He knows where you are. No matter where you go, you cannot hide from God. God has not forgotten you. He knows where you are. And I really believe somebody needs needs to hear this today. You feel forgotten. You feel like God doesn't care. You feel like God's lost track of you. But the fact is you cannot hide from God. He, He has not forgotten you. He cares about you. But here's the thing. He doesn't just know your physical location. He takes it much, much farther than that. God chose you. God chose you. The God of the universe chose you for his team. In Ephesians chapter 1, we've been studying it on Wednesday night over in the adult Bible study, and and it says several things based on God choosing us. It says that, that God chose you in Jesus before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. God chose you to be holy and blameless. That's a high calling, but God put it on each and every one of your lives. He chose you. Uh, It also says in chapter one that God predestined you to be adopted as sons through Jesus, right? God adopted you. God, God chose you to be part of his family. Some of you guys are stuck with your family, but God chose you to be part of his family, right? God chose you. Chapter 2, it says that God created you to do good works, which he prepared beforehand. So long before you were ever created, before you ever came into existence, God had a plan for you. He had good things for you to do, right? God chose you. God predestined you. God gave you a purpose. But it's up to us to walk in that. It's up to us to to choose God. But he chose you, the all-powerful, unlimited, eternal, infinite. He doesn't need you. Yet he chose you to be honest, his team. God doesn't need you, but he chooses you because he wants you. All right, let that sink in a little bit. God doesn't need you, but he chooses you because he wants you. Uh, our, our, our little five-year-old Ava, uh, one of her favorite things in the world to do is bake. She loves to bake. Um, for some reason, she calls it make. So she's like, Mom, Dad, when I grow up, I'm going to be the best maker in the whole world. And it's like, yeah, you are, Ava. You're going to be the best maker. And, uh, you know, so she, she loves to bake. And uh, so we'll be in the kitchen, and, and Angie will be over there making something, and she would be like, Mom, can I, can I make with you? You know, and she's a good mom, so she says, yeah, come on up here. Let, uh, help me do this stuff. And I, I was in the kitchen the other day trying to make cookies, and she comes up, and, and she's like, Dad, can I, can I make with you? And, you know, I'm a good dad, so I said, no, I'm busy. <laughs> I ain't got time to watch you spill things and do all this stuff you know she's five years old she doesn't really know how to make anything and uh you know but eventually she wore me out I was like okay come on up here Ava and and uh you know so she helps me scoop the things into the cup and and uh and then she she takes the cup and she dumps it into the thing and sometimes she makes it and sometimes she she doesn't and and eventually it took twice as long to make those cookies as if I would have just done it myself now to be truthful, I sometimes miss the bowl too. And I'm, I'm not very, it's, it's kind of like a war zone if you go in there after me. But with her, it was just like, oh man, this is, this is a big mess. But the thing is, like I love her. She, she's my daughter. And even though it took more time, it was worth it. I wanted her on my team. I, I, I'm, I wanted her by my side. I wanted to help her. And, and now she's just like, man, this is so special. But I also know this, all right? Because I am smart. I'm a smart dad. I know that if I train her, Eventually, one day, she will make me cookies, and I will not have to do any work anymore. All right? So I'm long-term, long long-term plan here. That's what I'm thinking. But I think the same way with God. God doesn't need us. Like, we're going to make things messier. He could do it right the first time, but he chooses to use us. He, he chooses to be patient with us. He, he, he chooses to put us in those situations that we're way over our head in, but yet he trusts us and says, all right, you're going to do this. I believe in you. I want you for my team. God doesn't need you, but He chooses you because He wants you. See, you may feel unwanted or unloved by people, but get a hold of this. God wants you. God, the God of the universe, wants you. He loves you, and He demonstrates this by, by choosing you. Check out this passage, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Right? Infinite God, able to do everything more, or immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And then it says, According to his power that is at work within us. Right? Infinite God, more than all we ask or imagine. But he chooses to display his glory through you, through us through imperfect people. He chooses to display his power through us. I think I've mentioned it before, but that's kind of like you know, throwing keys to a, a Lamborghini to your 10-year-old and say, good luck, go drive it. You know, it just doesn't make sense. That's too much power. That, that's, that's too much, but yet God gives us this incredible power and he displays it through us. He uses us. He chooses us to display his power. It doesn't make sense for God to do that. He doesn't need you, but he wants you on the team. He wants you on his team. So not only does the God of the universe know where you are, not only does he choose you, but he goes even farther than that. Many of you, you know the Ten Commandments in this room, right? Guys studied those since you were little kids. You have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. Then all those really not ones, you know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. All those things. Well, how do you know those? And those are all listed in Exodus chapter 20. And some of them are just, you know, don't murder. And God didn't have to explain anything else beyond don't murder, that one's pretty obvious. Uh, But some of these, he doesn't just say, don't take my name in vain, or don't make an idol, or remember the Sabbath, but he he goes deeper into it. He explains it further. So I want to take a little focus on commandment number two, you shall not make an idol. Let me read it for you. Exodus 20, verse 4, says this, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers, on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the commandment in here', it's, "You shall not make an idol. You shall not make an idol. So back in that time, uh, a lot of people would make idols, they would carve them out of wood or maybe out of stone, and they would literally bow down and worship them. Maybe it was in the shape of, uh, you know, you've got an animal or maybe the shape of a sun or a moon, and God's saying, don't worship the creation. Worship the creator. Like, don't don't worship all that stuff. Uh, It's not alive. It can't breathe. It can't do anything for you. It can just stare back at you. Don't worship those things. Worship me. Now today you might think like, okay, I'm good on that one. I don't have any like weird carvings in my closet that I bow down to. Uh, but we still have idol worship today. It may not be in that form, but anything that pulls us away from worshiping God is, is an idol in our lives. Today that might look like money. It might look like a career. It may be a relationship. We can idolize a person in our life. We can idolize a a family member in our lives that we just spend so much time with them that we don't spend time with God. We can idolize our self-image, and we're so caught up in how we look and how we present ourselves that we push God out of the way. We can idolize safety. We can idolize comfort. And that's what our whole goal is, our our whole world is based around, is just I want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable, and, and we forget to honor God. And those become an idol in our lives because we're not taking time to worship God, we're bowing down to these other things. So he says, don't make an idol. And then he gives us the reason why we shouldn't make an idol. And he says, don't make an idol because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I am a jealous God. Now that just seems wrong, doesn't it? It seems wrong that God can be jealous. Like, Number 10, he tells us, do not covet, right? That sounds like jealousy, wanting something that somebody else has. Do not covet, like, wait, God, so we can't be jealous, but you get to be. Like, how is that fair? You know, you ever wondered that before? But let me give a little definition here. See, do not covet, that number 10, that's actually envy. Envy is wanting something that somebody else has. So you want something that you don't have that somebody else has. So, you can be envious of the, the new car that your neighbor has, or uh, you can be envious of the promotion that your coworker got. It's like, God, oh, they've got it. I don't. Wish I had it, but I don't. And, and that, that's envy. But jealousy is different. Jealousy is to not want others to take what you already have. So, it's slightly different. Jealousy is to not want others to take what you already have. So, a husband is jealous for his wife. He has his wife. He doesn't want another man to come closer. He's jealous for his wife. A parent is jealous of their children, right? Uh, They want what's best for them. They want to see them succeed. They they want to meet all of their needs. They want to protect them. They want to teach them. They want to discipline them because they want to see what's best for their kids. They they don't want them to be led by this world. They they want to be led by good principles. Parents jealous of their children. And we serve a jealous God. We serve a jealous God. Not only does he know where you are, not only does he choose you, but God is jealous for you. All right, The God of the universe who created all the galaxies, all the billions and billions of stars, he is jealous for you. He loves you. He doesn't want to let you go. Like That's how deeply he cares for you. He wants your attention. He wants your time. God's jealous for your time you ever had that feeling before where it's just like, oh, man, I should read my Bible, or I should spend some time in prayer? Like, ever had that feeling before? I know I have. Like, that's the God of the universe saying, I want to spend time with you. Think about that. That's the God of the universe saying, I want to spend time with you. And how often do we say, eh, I don't have time, God. I've got other things to do. You know, I've got better things to do, and we, we push them off. I mean, think about somebody that you respect highly. You know, maybe it's uh, like a celebrity you respect highly. Maybe it's a politician. Uh, you know, maybe it is a celebrity or something like that. If they were to come and knock on your door today and be like, hey, could I have five minutes of your time? You'd be like, uh, yes. You know, I apologize for the mess. Come on in. You'd drop everything. It didn't matter what you were working on because you'd be like, yeah, come into my home. But yeah, when the God of the universe knocks on our door and says, hey, do you got five minutes, how often do we just say, Oh, God, I I got a schedule to keep. I got things to do. And and we brush them off. We brush them off. For parents in this room, you want what's best for your kids, right? We all want what's best for our kids. You want to see them succeed. We, We love them. We'd do anything for them. But how heartbreaking is it when you want to spend time with your kids and they don't want to spend time with you, Right? If you're a parent we've probably all been there you want to spend time with them but but they don't want to spend time with you and how heartbreaking would it be if if your child chose to reject you you know 16 years old like peace out mom and dad I'm gonna go move in with my crazy uncle or something like that or you know the, this friend I have at school and, and they just leave I mean some of you have been through that some of you are going through that right now or some of your kids say you know what I know you raised me in church. I, I know that's what I have did, but I'm going to go make my own life and I'm going to go make my own mistakes and they go out and rather than listening to your teaching, they just want to do it all on their own. Like that's, that's difficult. That's hard to, to feel that, that kind of rejection. It breaks your heart. But I wonder if, if that's how God feels about us when we choose to serve other gods. When we choose to serve ourselves. Because God knows that the best thing for you, the best way to make you succeed, is to serve Him, is to follow Him. Not He doesn't need your attention. He doesn't need your worship, but He knows it's what's best for you. He knows that's going to be on the right path because He created you. He made you. He planned out your days. He, he has a purpose for you. And if you try to go serve your own purpose, He knows you're going to wind up broken down, broken uh, down, At the bottom, with nothing left to turn to. He knows that the best way is through him. The only way through heaven is through Jesus. He has your best interest in mind. God is jealous for you. God's jealous for you. And then the last thing in this verse, it says there's a curse and there's a blessing. So the curse says that that God will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, of those who don't follow him of those who follow idols, right? There's a punishment involved uh, for those of us who don't follow God. But at the same time, there's also a blessing. He says, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Some translations say to thousands of generations. So when we don't serve God, it says to the fourth generation, you know, there's, there's punishment there. But when we do serve God, when we make him our Lord, there's blessings for thousands of generations. Like God blesses, Way, way bigger. He loves us. He gives us that grace. He gives us that kindness. So just think about that. Just, I, I've been trying to comprehend just how great God is. And it's mind-blowing to think about how large our galaxy is and, and how large just the universe is. But yet that, that God cares about us. He cares about us individually. If I could have the worship team come back up, we're going we're gonna to sing that last song again. If I stand in awe of you, God. And I want us to take the time this morning just to recognize how awesome God is. We use that word awesome a lot for a lot of random things. But really, awesome only defines who God is. It only defines who God is. Everything else is just really mediocre compared to Him. God is awesome. We're just a speck in the universe. We're just a little speck on a little tiny planet in an incredible universe. But yet Jesus loves that little speck so much and he wants to have a relationship with that little speck so much that at a great cost to him, he gave up his son to die for us so he could take care of us. So we could be living eternity with him. We could have eternal life. We could spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. We don't have to go to hell. We don't have to pay for those sins because Jesus already paid for us. He cares about that little speck. So you may be asking yourself this morning, am I needed? Am I good enough? Does anyone want me? The answer is no, you're not good enough. But God wants you. And God's going to choose you for his team. He's already chosen you. It's just up up to us to accept. It's just up to us to accept, to choose him, to say, yes, God, I want eternal life. I believe that you died and rose again for me. That's, That's all we need to do. So even if your family or your boss or your friends don't choose you, it doesn't matter because the creator of the universe chose you. And God is the only opinion that counts. Stop worrying about everybody else's opinion. Worry about what God thinks about you. God loves you. God chooses you. You're not just needed, you're wanted. God knows where you are. He chose you. He's jealous for you. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And uh, these altars are open. You're free to, to leave uh, when you need to go but we're just trusting in God. So this morning, take a moment, take a moment just to stand in awe of God, stand in awe of the the creator, the one who created the galaxies. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. Jesus, we stand before you today amazed. God, we are so small. We're but a speck. In this universe, the time we live on this planet, is, it's just a hint. God, in light of eternity, it's, it's basically nothing, but yet you still care about us. God, you still take time uh, to listen to us, to hear our prayers. God, we, we can't wrap our minds around how infinite you are in, in time and space and resources and power. You're infinite in love, too. So, God, may our knowledge. Grow of you today so we can trust you even more tomorrow. As we go and we share Jesus with our with our neighbor, with our co-worker, with our family. May we trust that you are in control, that you have us all in your hands. So, God, may we stand in awe of you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship Jesus.
1: You are beautiful beyond. Description to my